life. Lord, we pray for the youth today, that as they sit at your feet, you will do marvelous things. Open, open up your word right now to them in such a way that they will be met by you. Lord, so for us, we ask you that you speak to us. We thank you that you are here, present, in your love. We bless your name, Lord. Come and speak to us. In fact, Lord, as we heard in communion, we pray, we pray that you put your answers in us, form them in us, Lord. We don't just want to pass an exam, but we want your answers to the various and diverse problems that we all face. We thank you that you have a word for each individual here that we will know and feel as if you were speaking to us individually. So come, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 17, and we'll be continuing from uh, last week what we spoke about when um, God made a covenant or effected a covenant with Abraham. Yeah? And so we'll be reading Genesis chapter 17. I'll be reading from the ESV. You ready? Okay. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you. And of course, uh, last week, those of you who were here, um, we spoke about the word that was used for make as probably a better translation would be to effect the covenant, yeah? to effect the covenant, make it actually happen. Not just talk about it, not sign on, sign on the papers, but actually effect it, make it happen. This was important because Abraham had, had, uh, had cut the covenant with God um, 14 years ago. And 14 years had passed and nothing had happened. All he had was a mistake that he had made with Sarah in, in, in Hagar and no signs of God's promise being fulfilled in his life. And I just felt that as I was sharing that last week, that there are people who are, who are saying, I am waiting for God to do something. I thought I made a covenant with God that God would actually fulfill his promises for me. And, I, and I've made the covenant, but it's not actually happening. And so chapter 17 is about not just making the covenant or deciding to have a covenant with God, but actually seeing it brought to effect. Yeah? So that's, that's for those of us who feel I've got a gap between what, I, what is promised, what I signed up for, and what I'm actually seeing happen in my, in my life. Verse 3, Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, father, but your name shall be Abraham, father of nations. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you. Establish as in make it actually solid in you. Like really, really a reality, yeah? Establish my covenant with you. Make it solid and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. 
Notice that the covenant was not only with Abraham, but his generations, every generation. That means you and me. He was making it to a with Abraham and making it with us just as much as he was making it with Abraham. Yeah? So we're not talking about something that, was, that happened for some historical figure and bully for him. Great. But it's actually for us as well. He's making it, he was at that time making it and, and he was cutting, this covenant would cut through time, cut through thousands of years down to where we are sitting now in the pew. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. To be God to you. So the covenant would be that God will be God to us. He'll not be our palsy-walsy, not be just our friend, but he would be God to us. How many of you know that we need a God more than we need a friend? We need a God more than we need a friend. And I'll be God to you. And in some ways, what we want to hear about is, what does it mean for God to be God to us? Yeah? How does God, in all his power and his might, become relationally connected with us in such a way that in our, in our state, his godness can be a blessing to us? Yeah? And I, verse 8, will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Wow! I'll give to you and your offspring. So he's already thinking about you and me, because we are the children of Abraham by, because of Christ, right? Because of, the, of, of, the, of the, the grafting in through the cross. I'll give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. So you think about it, the fact that um, 4,000 years ago, God was thinking about us, not just Abraham, not just the person in front of him, but through him to us as well. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. What does it mean that for him to be my God? Yeah? God to me. Yeah? And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you'll keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is brought with your money shall surely be circumcised, so that so shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. It was cut into the flesh. And any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah. Yeah, Sarai means my princess. God says she'll be princess, not your princess, but princess. I don't know whether he was whispering, my princess. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. She shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Seems to be falling on his face twice. Laughing and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? That's impossible. Shall Sarah, Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. And so Abraham, his heart, he just can't handle the impossibility of it, right? 
and he's bonded with Ishmael. And Ishmael has become a comfort to him. He has been his security. And what God is saying is so outside the realm of possibility that Abram can hardly relate to it. And this is going to be one of the things that we are going to face in our Christian life, that what God wants to do is so outside our ability to resonate with it because it's so impossible that you have to take at face value the fact that God wants to do something outside of your intuitions and my intuitions, outside of my expectations and your expectations. In fact, a lot of times, in order for us to understand God's ways, we have to let go of our own intuitions. We have to let go of our own gut feelings even. I know as, as Christians, we can tend to, especially in the charismatic, spiritual kind of the tradition, kind of think, oh, gut feeling's good. Go by the gut. Yeah? But may I suggest to you that actually that is not actually biblical. The gut, the gut is not... You know, bad things come out of the guts too, right? The gut is not absolute. God is. But because of the fact that Abraham, uh, that what God has is predicated on zero or nothing that you have, there are going to be times in which God will train us by speaking to us things that we cannot even relate to. It's not even relatable because it's outside of the realm of possibility. And when that happens, our whole kind of our own, plaus- our own plausibility structure has to be dismantled. And you have to come to Christ like a baby so that He can implant upon us something that is not, doesn't just rise from ourselves. Yeah? That is huge. And so Abraham, because of that, he just, said, he just slinks back into Ishmael. It's like Ishmael's the most familiar. It's, I can touch it. I can relate to it. I can, I, can, I can be comforted by it. And I have a bonding with it. And so today I want to talk about, a little bit about that because I feel that for many of us, letting go of Ishmael is the key to experiencing the covenant being effected into us. Ishmael, our comfort, our relatable, our history, what it is that makes us go by the senses is a blockage to the covenant. And we will talk a little bit about that today. And so, Abraham said, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, no. <laughs> Isn't that great? And God said, no. All the, 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 the desires and all the feelings and all the intuitions and all the, all the dreams that we have. No. But his no is very much more positive. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly and he shall be father, 12, he shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac. So you have this situation in which God says, I'm going to bless Ishmael. I'm going to bless Ishmael. I'm going to make him father of 12 kings, 12 princes. He'll be a great nation. There'll be something great about him. 
but my covenant is not with him. My blessing is with him, but my covenant is with Isaac. And there is a distinction between the blessing and the covenant. The covenant includes blessing, but the blessing that I'm talking about, the distinction between blessing and covenant that I'm talking about that's found in Ishmael has to do with the fact that when it's blessing in and of itself and there's no covenant, God is not in it. The purposes of God are not in it. And what has happened is that Christianity has taken the blessing and made a whole religion out of blessing. We've used scriptures to so that we will be more blessed, but we've not got covenant. Covenant is something else. Covenant is what God's heart is towards. And it has to do with our partnership, and if, if, if I can actually call it partnership. I've always wondered how, how, how in America we use the word partnership with God so easily. And those of us who are from Asia, we think, partner, you're partnering God? Wow, you're so great, you can be a partner of God? I guess so. But I, I, I personally would, te- I, I cringe when, when the word partnership with God is used. It sounds so, me and God is just palsy-walsy, you know. He needs me. But putting, putting that aside, there's a way in which what God wants to do is to make a covenant with, with us. And the covenant involves a certain friendship that's built up in trust and fidelity, in holiness and in loyalty. So we can say I'm a friend of God, but when we say that, we are saying that I am invested in becoming God's friend. I'm in fidelity with Him. I'm one with Him. I'm submitted to Him. Amen? And so what God wants to do is to actually do something more than just bless us. Um, so we will talk a, we'll talk a little bit about that as we move along. Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 17. And the first thing that struck, strikes me about, about this, and constantly... Uh, the, the question that is, that is overarching today's sermon has to do with what can prevent me from experiencing the effecting of the covenant in my life? What can stop me from experiencing His fruitfulness? So hopefully the whole sermon would be used by God, I believe it will, to actually speak to specific things in our lives. What are actually preventing us? Why, why this 14-year wait? Why is it not happening? What can prevent it from actually happening. For those of you who do, do, who do 4Q, it's question two, right? What's preventing me? What's hindering me? Okay. God says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then they, and Abram fell on his face. What he's saying is this. The word for walk before is... Uh, perhaps a familiar word to those of you who who are Jews or Jewish, halakhic, it's halakha, which has to do with walking, actively relating to, responding to, obeying as a lifestyle in active obedience to God. So the halakhic kind of uh, uh, um, uh, law has to do with the, the sort of a way in which we walk. The word halakha, Actually, it's best translated, way. 
you go in a way, a certain way, this way and not that way. You don't have a plurality, plurality of freedom of all many ways. You go according a way to a certain kind of way. And the Jewish rabbis had an understanding of this as a, as a, as a fairly narrow kind of thing. But it's not legalistic in, as in the New Covenant. It is something in which the Holy Spirit guides us. And it has to do with a, a relationship with the Holy Spirit every moment of the day. He is our halakha. Yeah? He's our halakhic guide, so, so to speak. And what, 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 what God was saying to Abraham, after 14 years of nothing happening, he says, you walk before me, you halakhic, be, walk in this halakhic way in which you are led by the Spirit. Now, I'm taking it in the New Testament sense, right? I'm transposing it into the New Testament and, and, and saying this is not just legal, not just Torah. It's not just uh, 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 legalistic. It is something in which is of the Spirit, where the Holy Spirit wants to be in relationship with us and that we learn how to obey Him. Now, what happens a lot of times is this. We don't know how to relate, relate to God. In fact, we don't know how to relate to each other. Husbands don't know how to relate to wives, and wives sometimes don't know how to relate, relate, relate to husbands. You notice I said husbands don't know how to relate to wives, and wives sometimes don't know how to relate, relate to husbands. Let's be fair. It both, goes both, both ways. Have you found times in your marriage or in your relationship with somebody close to you that you can get sometimes really passive? You're waiting for the other person to make the first move. So everything that we do is based upon the other person doing something. Part of problems with, with, with in relationships between husband and wife has to do with the fact that sometimes, and I can speak from a closer proximity to the men, husbands can be very passive. And they're waiting for the wife to serve them or initiate a conversation. They go out for a, for a, for a, for a, for a, for a date in the restaurant and the wife is speaking and the husband's just responding to whatever comes. Sometimes with God, we're like that. God, you promised this, so I'm waiting for you to do it. I'm promising you. You, you give me a promise? Okay, go ahead and do it. Sometimes we sound so spiritual. It says, I'm not going to make it happen. I'm just going to let God do it. That is not a relationship with God. That'll never, you'll never be a friend, friend of God like that. You'll just be a baby. God comes to me. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I've got a pain in my tummy. And God, God runs to you. And that's fine, that's fine. But many people remain relationally infantile because they are passive. So as far as promises of God, they can go either one, one, one extreme or the other. One extreme is to just try to make it happen and try to, 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 to say, God, okay, I got it. I'm going to make it happen. That's no good. The other way is to say, I'm not going to make it happen. I'm more spiritual. I'm going to say, Lord, you just do it. And we're waiting. Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. Halakhic Christianity, so to speak, has to do with being active with the Holy Spirit. Allowing Him to put ambition, put motivation, put obedience in us, so much so that we are working on something with God. Does that make sense? Now, part of why I think America is so casual with God when it comes to church is because of the fact that we think of church sort of as a t-shirt and shorts experience. What do I mean by that? 
I'm here just to receive from God. May I suggest to you that actually the Christian life is not that. It's a relationship. Hello. It's a relationship in which we are constantly put upon by God to do something, to be something, to move a little edge here, edge there, nudge here, nudge there. And so in relationship, you, you, you want to do this as a husband or a wife because in relationship, you want to be attentive, attentive to the other person. So you're moving. You're moving. You're always responding. Amen? No? <laughs> Someone said, you, you can say amen or you can say ouch. May I suggest to you that actually a lot of times there's an underlying way in which we relate to God in which we are passive. We are done to by God. Now I don't, I know that God is the subject and we are the object of His love. But there's a way in which we are coming to covenant relationship. So covenant relationship involves vows, involves in our, our part to it, under Him. Not trying to make things happen. Not trying to impose things upon Him, but responding to Him. There's a certain way in which you cannot, as a Christian, be, be, be passive because of the fact that God is always guiding us. He's a halakhic God. He's saying, walk with, but before me and and, and uh, be thou perfect, right? Now, i got to tell you, our family walks. I want to say we walk every day, but that would be a lie. Because there's a route in which we walk, Cindy and I, and, and sometimes the children, that takes about an hour, okay? To me, one hour is too much of an investment on this. I don't feel like doing it. But there's a certain level of activity. Our, our place has kind of hills and all that, that it involves. And so I like to actually do it in spite of the fact that my, my, uh, my uh, natural pose would be more or less on the side rather than, than even walk, walking. And so there's a way in which May I suggest to you that the Holy Spirit is now itself speaking to you and me. He's now speaking to you and me, and if you can't hear it, you want to hone in for long enough for that speaking of God to be able to transform the unconscious parts of us so that something comes to word, comes, comes alive. Yeah? And so, may I suggest to you that it is possible that Abraham didn't experience 14 years of blessing but 14 years of stagnation because of the fact that he had this idea, possibly, that God's just going to do it. So I want to enter into a relationship with God in which God focuses on the part that I can play in submission to Him. This kind of submission makes us active, actually, not passive. We are not just a passive part of this partnership. We are actually a respondee. We are respondent to what God is initiating. And the thing about it is, see, the covenant involves a transformation that will take place through obedience. I used to get really excited when God gave me passages that tell me, He's going to do this, He's going to do this, He's going to cause water to break out in the desert. He's going to cause a nation that we've never known 
to call us and, and that kind of stuff, and he will do great things. And, you know, for Zion's sake, you know, he will cause the, 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 the righteousness of Zion to go forth like a burning torch. And then I realize, Isaiah chapter 62, it says, for Zion's sake, I will not rest. I will not keep silent. And then I realized that promises of God are never just promises that are unconditional promises. Maybe I should correct myself. They are usually not unconditional promises. There are unconditional promises. If you're just a lump there, he'll still make it happen. But those are few and far between. Most of the, the, the promises are covenants. Where he's saying, I'm going to do this. Let's go. Listen to me carefully. I'm going to make this miracle happen. Amen? All right. So that was something what we, akin to what we were talking about um, uh, last week. I'm going to quickly move into the, the next part, which would be verse 18. Abram's lament, that, that plea for Ishmael, that Ishmael may live uh, before God. What, God was, what Abraham was saying is this, I want Ishmael to be part of your plan. I want Ishmael to be part of your plan. May Ishmael live before God. So he's asking not only for Ishmael to live, he wants Ishmael to live before God. He wants God's plan to be somehow changed to incorporate Ishmael. He was godly in that sense, but he didn't realize that Ishmael was not part of what God wants. And so what we want to, want, want to try to understand here in covenant is this. When God makes a covenant with us, it is on His terms. We can pray and pray and pray, but God will do what He wants because He will save us from what we want. And so what happens is that God said, yeah, I'm going to bless Ishmael. I'm going to bless Ishmael. But that blessing towards Ishmael is my justice to Ishmael. It's your mistake. And because you made a mistake, I have to do justice to him. Because I love him too. But as that is happening, you've got to know that my covenant with you is on my terms. My covenant, the gift of my covenant is that my will will be flowing through you, not your will flowing through yourself. How many of you know of people who have been so blessed and the blessing has killed them? We as parents sometimes can pray for success for our children, right? We want them to be whatever, great athletes, great um, famous, um, high profile or professionals of, so, of some sort, you know? We want them to, to, to be all that. And you can have all that blessing, but that blessing had, had takes very independent direction. If it's not covenant, if it's blessing, that blessing is autonomous. It is not only autonomous of God, it's autonomous of you. And that is why many people who, whose children have become successful have left the Lord. Isn't that right? I have many times prayed for my children that in the blessing and in the, in, the, in, the, in the great schools that they have, they've, they've gone to, 
that those will not be the occasion, the, the venue for them to fall away from God. I'm scared for that. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of my children's success as well. I rejoice in them. But I know that if the blessing is an autonomous blessing and it's not a covenant, then it'll be like an Ishmael. Ishmael is uncontrollable. What God said to Abraham is that Ishmael, is, it will be, actually he said it to Hagar, his hand will be against all the nations around them. He will fight against all the nations. He's not controllable. And your blessing, if your blessing is the core of your relationship with God, and God becomes a, a facilitator of, 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 our, of, of our own, or your own, my own uh, desire for my children or, or for, for myself, then what happens is that it'll spin out really fast. And so I've, I remember when, uh, we, before we had children, I would pray a lot because I was scared of having children. I was so scared of children because I'd seen so many godly families in which the children had, turn, had just turned away from God. And I couldn't, I couldn't make an equation. I couldn't find a reason why that happened because these parents are godly parents. And I couldn't work out an equation that will enable me to say, okay, do this, then that, that which happened to this pastor's family will not happen to you. I couldn't. So because of that, I was really afraid to have children. And then the Lord gave me this word, He will save them from this generation. Your children will be like olive trees around the house of the Lord. Your daughters will be pillars in the house of God, in the household of God. God gave a promise. But I understood that this promise is not just an unconditional promise. It meant there are ways in which I need to get into God so that He can teach me the way. He can transform me because I knew that it, there's nothing in me that can make that happen. Amen? I can't. I can know what's the right thing, but I can't have it. I need it to be circumcised in the flesh. I need something to happen to my flesh to, to transform it, to open it up to the supernatural work of God in my life. And so, I'm quite aware of the fact that God blesses us, but when the blessing becomes an autonomous thing just for ourselves so that our children are doing well, they go, go to school, they, they go to college, and they you know, have all that, all those blessings are fine. No problem. God can do that. He loves us. He loves Ishmael. He will bless an Ishmael too. But the thing is that he says to Abraham, my covenant is with Isaac. And so there may be some who are Christians who are saying, I don't care, I just want to be blessed. I'm coming to church so that God will bless my family or bless my career or bless my, 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 my life and all that. And God is and, and God saying this, I'm after a covenant with you. I'm not just here to bless you. I'm looking for a man or a woman who will stand in the gap that will not destroy the land. I'm wanting someone in which I can invest upon them my purposes. Amen? See, God wants covenant with us. He can bless us, and the covenant will include blessings. But when you take blessings out and make it an independent thing, and then judge how you're doing by, based upon how much blessing you are, you are making a serious mistake. A very, very serious mistake. That blessing could actually curse you. I remember my classmate in, in high school. He got into medicine. 
And we have been praying for him because he had many, many struggles in, in his life. And he got into medicine as a Christian and uh, very blessed, very happy. Um, and actually did very well. He, 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 was, he did grad school and became a micro hand surgeon, you know. And uh, when I had my accident uh, in 1989, of all people, my friend Vaikuntan was my surgeon. <laughs> so I renewed fellowship with him. And then I realized, oh, he had become a Muslim. What happened? What happened, Vai? What happened there? And he talked about how he had seen so much suffering in the hospital. He just couldn't take it. He couldn't take it. I don't see how becoming a Muslim could make it even easier. But whatever happened, he spun out. His family, which was a Christian family, um, were devastated. Today he's still a, a Muslim. He's struggling, struggling greatly. Very, very successful. Struggling. I do not want that kind of success. That to me is a curse. The covenant that God makes is relational. He says, you're special to me. I love you. I want to raise you up unique, not like anyone else, so that I can do my works. I can share with you my heart. Amen? And so this is something that what, what, what God wants to do. There's a difference between blessing and covenant. I'm, I was very touched um, because sometimes uh, I listen to the podcasts of the of this of this Sunday service at FGA Full Gospel Assembly, um, the church that we minister in Malaysia. And uh, lo and behold, yesterday my cousin, his name is Paul, was preaching. Wow. I'm so proud of him. I'm proud of all my cousins. We are all very close, all in the Lord. And he was preaching. And I just thought about his parents as well. And he talked about his parents. And he said, you know, my parents are over 80 years old. His father is a, is a very successful cardiologist. And, uh, and they had come and visited us in America. Before. So we are very close. We are close relatives. But he says, you know, my, my parents, they're 80-something years old. And every time they go on holiday or they, they are going visiting, they're telling me, we're going to go pray for this person. We're going to go pray for this person. We're going to pray for this person. Many people came to the, came to the Lord because then they are English and Chinese speaking and so Mandarin speaking. The whole Mandarin speaking uh, congregation in FGA started, was started by their friends, by his parents. And, and it's just amazing to see the parents as active as the children in the things of the Lord. But for the child to be able to talk to the congregation about, the, about, about his, his parents really touched me, really touched me, because I could see there's a heritage is actually go, going, something was flowing. I call it covenant. It's a thing that's flowing through your life and your family's life, or you're in your land. You may be the only one in your family. You may not even have family, but there's something that God does when He makes a covenant with you and me so that something of God flows. If not from your family, at least from heaven, from the family in heaven. Amen? And so I, that's why God called Abraham alone with Sarah. 
Even if you're alone, you can start something. Praise God. To be able to experience not just blessing, but to have covenant, we have to understand that the covenant doesn't arise from our dreams, our own intuitions, our own desires, our own um, leanings, or even our own passions. They may incorporate those things and give a place to those things, but they don't arise out of that. They don't arise, the calling comes from something far deeper than our intuition or our leanings or our intuitions or our desires. Covenant vision from God starts with God. And if it is from God, chances are you may not even be able to relate to it. Because you and I are not big enough to relate to what God is doing. And so because of that, when God spoke to Abraham and he says, that you, you know, you're, you're going to have a, a, a son, and Sarah at 99 years old, uh, 90 years old, you at 99 years old have a son, Abraham just basically fell off his chair laughing. That's how absurd it is. Our starting point is not our passions. It will include passion, but it is not the starting point. Does that make sense? If you start from that, if your method of discerning starts with the passion, you will probably not get it. Because when you start with what's available before your eyes, it's here, you will not be able to escape the realm of the doable, the realm of the flesh, the, the realm of the earthly. Because when you start from fixing on that pa passion, you will only get other passions and other dreams that will come out of that. You have to start with something external, something that is outside of yourself. You have to start with God. To come before God and see nothing. That's the difference between covenant and something else. What God does is this. He says, I don't do your agenda. I don't do your desires. I will, at the beginning, I will come to you and your need. I will come to you and your, 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 um, your passion. I will come to you where you need. But I don't do you. I do me. And what you need is me, not you. We need, you need me more than you need you on steroids. Br brought up to the nth degree. Now what happens with a certain kind of Christianity is that it's a humanistic Christianity in which we think that God is the fulfillment of us. What God wants to do is to fulfill us. Yes, He does. But we don't know how that actually happens. You, you're not in a position, I'm not in a position to know that right now. What I need to do is to submit to God and let the circumcision of the cross come upon me and bring me to nothing and laugh at the fact that God is actually going to do all these things to me and <laughs> that's not even possible. Yes, it is not even possible. Enter into that place. Amen? What it does is that it washes us clean. It brings to an end the, 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 the sight and the fleshly sight. It brings to an end all created light and brings us into the uncreated light of God. Only the uncreated light of God, the light that comes from God, can actually show things, has real energy to actually be able to affect things. Created light, 
That, that light that comes from ourselves doesn't do that. Created life can't do that. Only uncreated light, the light of God, can actually do that. For that to happen, we have to come into Him. And as we come into Him, we are brought down, brought to our knees, brought to nothing. Then you can talk about covenant. Covenant is not the shaping of God around our need for blessing. Covenant is other than that. And so a person, whether you have talents or no talents, you are a person who has great history or no history, if you are a sinner or a saint, you come to God just the same as everybody else and zero. And God starts something that may have no bearing on any gifts or any kind of, 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 of abilities that you may have or any kind of history that you have. He is from the other side. In, in, in philosophical terms, we say he is abrupt to that. No continuity to that. He's abrupt to that. When that happens, he does what you can't do for yourself. He will begin to give meaning to all the passions that you have. Not all. <laughs> the ones that he has put there. Amen? But for that to happen, we cannot come with, to him with dirty hands. We can't even clean our own hands. We have to put our hands before God. Wash me. Because everything I touch will be tainted by my own flesh. And so what God does is that He begins to do that work in our lives. And so the first thing He does, of course, is He, he says no to Ishmael. He says no to Ishmael. In some ways, Ishmael was a comfort to him. It's comforting. It made him feel good about prospects in life because at least I have a culturally acceptable way of calling someone my son who can continue my existence. In many ways, Ishmael was someone who made him feel good about himself, good about life. The genial, comforting, instrument or person that made life more comfortable. And sometimes what can happen is that we can hold on to the Ishmael because it's so genial. You know what I mean by genial? Mild and cheerful, puts no pressure upon you. And sometimes the church can become like a genial club of friends whose main aim is to be gentle with one another and to do good to one another. I believe that we should be genial, actually. Geniality comes out of the peace of God. But when that becomes the, the goal of a church, that we become a genial club of friends, whose main aim is to be good to one another without the purposes of God. There's no imperative. There's no mission. There's no urgency. There's no purpose. It's our own purpose. It's the warm water that makes us feel good. But it has no purpose of God, no meaning. And sometimes what we have, we, I, I find that, honestly, in myself, I like genial, don't you? 
be good to one another, right? But if that's all there is in the church, then the church doesn't really have much of God's purpose and covenant. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Jesus spoke about that in, Gen- in, in John, chapter, is it John chapter 9, I think. He says, I must work while it is yet day. Night cometh where no man can work. And therefore he set his face as a flint towards the purposes of God. Geniality without any kind of imperative, any hunger for souls, any urgency about that, any mission, becomes a lame group of people. It just becomes a group of people that we have nothing much to say. Pray for you. Pray. That's all. Just be nice to one another. Take care of each other's sensitivities. All these are very important. When the Lord is in the midst of that, that becomes wonderful. When that is the only thing, without God, it becomes lame. It becomes weak. It becomes actually an affront to God's purposes. It's outside the covenant. It's blessing without the covenant. And so sometimes what can happen is that I can see it in myself. I see in myself that comfort is one of the things that I can easily slink into. I need someone sometimes to give me a little pinch. When I was a little kid, we, we had corporal punishment in elementary school. I was a teacher, and whenever I didn't do my homework, she would bring me up, and she had these long fingernails, you know. Michael, yes! That's not allowed, I guess, yeah. I, I have no comment on that. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> but sometimes I need that. But more importantly, I need the Holy Spirit. I need that halakhic Holy Spirit who will guide me through. Because left to my own devices, I'll eat potato chips, ice cream and chocolate, sit on the, my favorite couch and just read. But that's not covenant. Covenant is more, more active than that. You know? it has, it's not just gentle. It has other tones as well. It has a sense of excellence that God has for us. And Paul says, I am, is it Paul? Yeah. I'm persuaded of better things of you. And sometimes we get offended when someone says, I'm persuaded of better things of you because I want more from you. Because I know you're better than that. But we live in a society that is so fragile that we easily get offended by that. And as a, as a result of that, what becomes more um, dominant, more, more important is how we treat one another rather than how, what God is wanting to do. And sometimes we have to show each other love in such a way that we can inspire each other to love and good works. Amen? That is why I want to invite you to come for pillars. And if you can, come in person. If you can't, it's okay. There's Zoom too. Because in, 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 in pillars, we are not just sitting and listening to teaching. We are actually working on praying for our land and asking one another, how can we solve some of the problems of 
that make us unfruitful in the land. We are, to the best of our ability, praying and working on something that must bring forth fruit because that's, that's the promise of God. Amen? So that church is not just a lecture circuit or a, a kind of a, a thing in which you get fed by, from, the, from, from pulpit. And, 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 and sometimes it's just rather indifferent. No, what God wants to do is to actually mobilize us. There are people that his heart breaks for and that I believe your heart also breaks for. I want to imagine my best friends who are non-Christians coming to the Lord. Don't you? Your relatives. You want to imagine that. You want to pray for that. You want to get the whole church to be with you on that and support you in bringing your husband or your wife to the Lord, your children to the Lord. You want to bring up problem areas so that there's some group of people who are there who are saying, we are working on this something. We're not just coming and listening to, to sermons and all that or singing songs. We are working on this. We are inviting the presence of the Lord. But we know there is, at the, at the ultimate, something that needs to be done, something that needs to happen that's not happening. And I don't want to live another one year make it, making 14, 14 years of postponement, another 15 years. But I need help. I need to be part of a company of people, a remnant of people who are, who, are, who are banging on heaven's door, banging on the devil's gates to bring forth salvation in people's lives. That is going to be more important than anything that you and I do, whether you're a scientist or you're a doctor or a dentist or a teacher. Or a, that is going to be more important. That has far, far more f- far-reaching effects upon a person's life than the, the science or the arts or the creativity that you do. You may make people feel good. You may, for, you may even heal people for a while. But if they go to hell, it is all in vain. It's just, it's just, it's just, just a fact. And it will, it will bring you and me into active service for the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. There are people who God has placed in your land that want, to become, want, want salvation. They need deliverance. They, they need someone to hear their hearts cry. And I believe that God has put us in the land for that. So that we're not just a genial um, group, but we are a people who in our geniality know when there's an imperative. There's a mission in our lives. Amen? Let us pray. I wonder before we, we pray, whether we can sing a hymn. Um, let's all stand together. And the hymn is well known. Okay.
Not new. Okay, good. Let's try it again, okay? Hear the hearts cry. My heart just bursts when I think about the fact that my friends, my loved ones can lose all their guilty stains. Just imagine the joy. There is a fountain filled with blood for from Emmanuel and sinners plunge beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains lose all their guilty stains lose all their guilty Activate us, Lord, we pray. Unless you breathe life into us, we will be passive and partially blind, partially deaf, partially comatose. But you made us for more than this. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing. Thank you for your blessing upon our lives. We want to come into covenant with you where we become your instruments, your so-called partners. Yes, Praise you, God, that you, by your Holy Spirit, are sealing a work in each one of us that words cannot even get to, but your work is more than able. And we thank you that the halakha way, the path, Lord God, that power flows from on high. It rises up from the ground. Yes, it Lord. surrounds us as we move along. We thank you, Lord, for your presence right now. That is even during the week, every moment, reminding us, Lord God, that you make us whatever you want us to be. Amen. So we surrender. Your work is so much better than the world's or than ours. You are glorified and be glorified in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder whether you would not mind opening your hands before the Lord as empty, as empty, empty of our own intuitions, our own preset ideas, our own leanings, our own desires, our own intuitions. And we say, Lord, be them as they may. We want you to cleanse our hands, our hearts, of every Ishmael, 
every good thing that has become an idol, a dependency, and cleanse us right now in Jesus' name. And now with the same hands, I want to invite you to just lift up your land for the Lord and all the people that are there. Perhaps within the next four weeks, God will do something that will bring things to fruition. Perhaps it may take longer, but we bring them, bring them before you, Lord. We bring our lands before you, the people there. We thank you, Lord, that you, Holy Spirit, can direct us to them and them to us. We open ourselves to you. We bless your name. Come and fill us. In Jesus' name, amen.